beautiful songs. Wow. Uh, again, if you've never set up front during a Sunday morning worship service, let me encourage you to do it sometime. Uh, the singing just all pours down here, and it's just absolutely wonderful. And thank you so much for joining in to praise to our God. Uh, we are bringing a several-month study called Follow the Master Disciple Maker, Lessons from the Gospel of Matthew. We're very quickly bringing it to a close. We've got three more lessons after today. And thank you for your patience in that. Uh, many of you have been kind in your remarks as we've just tried to focus on how did Jesus make disciples. Uh, and we're going to finish up today a major block of his teaching, and then next week, in fact, the next three weeks, while there will be some teaching from Jesus, mostly it's actions of Jesus that, of course, changed the world. Now, each week we try to do a treat. Uh, one of my professors, Dr. Dow Flat, in Greek would always say, okay, it's treat time, which meant we had a test. And so the taste test is going to begin probably hard, Okay. It's going to stay hard through the first two questions, and then it's going to start getting easier and easier and easier. And if you don't get the last one, y'all be ashamed of yourselves. Okay, let me just say that. All right? So here we go. Question number one. In what chapter do you find John the Baptist pronouncing judgment on the Pharisees and Sadducees? One of the earliest chapters in the book of Matthew. And, and of course, it's the one that focuses specifically on John the Baptist. And if you said chapter 3, you are correct. All right? So, chapter 3 of Matthew, John the Baptist pronounces judgment on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Question number 2. In what chapter does Jesus pronounce judgment on a fig tree? Uh, you, you have, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, Jesus cleansing the temple. Uh, Matthew places this cursing of the fig tree after that. Mark trace, uh, uh places it actually before because Matthew's not really big about chronology in his particular gospel. But it's when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, uh, he goes out to the temple, goes to the temple, cleanses the temple in Matthew's gospel, goes back to Bethany, comes back the next day, and it's uh, chapter 21. As it becomes a literally a parable about Israel. Jesus came expecting fruit. There's no fruit. He curses it. The same is true of Jerusalem and the Jewish people. Question number three, hopefully getting easier. In what chapter does a king pronounce judgment on a man for not being dressed properly at a wedding banquet? And of course, it's a parable of Jesus about God having a wedding banquet, inviting people to it. The ones who are invited says, no, we can't come. And so he sends people out into the highways and byways and brings in all types of people. And one of the people that comes in is not dressed properly, and he's judged for it. And you're like, wow, that's not very kind since you're just inviting everyone. And yet it has to do with the fact that whether it's the Jews who reject God's invitation or the Gentiles who accept it and come in, God is still a God, as Joe said this morning, of the sacred. And you have to respect that. And that's in chapter 22. Fig tree 21. Wedding banquet 22. Are you, are you staying with me here? Question number four. In what chapter does Jesus pronounce judgment on the scribes and Pharisees? Anybody want to guess? No. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Way to go. That's right. And it's in chapter 23. Uh, and so you have 
Judgment 21, judgment 22, judgment 23. Question number five, in what chapters does Jesus pronounce judgment on Jerusalem and the temple? 24, I told you it'd be easy. All right, told you it'd be easy. You get all of these parables and stories and descriptions of God's judgment upon Israel. Why? Because Jesus came to his own, and as John says, his own did not receive him. And therefore, judgment is coming. Well, as we get into uh, the last chapter before we have the passion uh, actions of Jesus, you have a series of four more stories about judgment. Chapter 21, fig tree, wedding banquet 22, scribes and Pharisees 23, Jerusalem and the temple in 24. And if you notice in 26, as he begins that last narrative section, He says, when Jesus had finished all of these sayings, the fifth time Matthew says that, five blocks of teaching. This is the end of the block on judgment, which is the final block. And it it, it includes the end of 24 and all of 25. And so four stories, four stories. And if you could have asked Jesus as he finished saying all these things, the lesson you take from it, what would it be? And I think it would be similar to a lesson that one of my professors that I already mentioned, Dr. Dal Flatt, he was my Greek professor, he was my rabbi, he was the one who taught me to love Scripture so much, long-time professor at Fried Hardman. Dal used to say in class this saying, a word to the wise is sufficient. In other words, if you think for one second this is not going to show up on test, you're not paying attention. And so he would always be sitting there teaching and he would say a word to the wise is sufficient. And man, we were highlighting that that particular text because we knew it was going to show up. Well, let me tell you, I think Jesus would say the same thing. If you're paying attention, a word to the wise is sufficient. Watch why. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? One of the things that Jesus is going to talk about all the way through here is are you faithful and wise or are you slothful and foolish? There's the question you've got to answer. Which one of these describes you? And so he begins by saying, who then is the faithful and wise servant? And then he tells the story, whom the master set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Back in that time period, you had slaves, and you had to appoint someone to make sure that the slaves are fed properly. He says, blessed is that servant who his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he'll set him over all of his possessions. If he's responsible over this little job, he's going to elevate him to a bigger job. Is what Jesus says. But if that wicked servant, there's the opposite of the faithful servant, If that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards. In other words, I'm not sure he's coming back, at least not soon. And therefore he thinks, I'll just just live the way I want to live until right before he comes and then I'll get everything straightened up. Y'all remember when you were a kid and your mom and dad would give you you know, the chores you were responsible for while they were gone. Only problem is Gilligan Island came on at four. And you loved Gilligan's Island. 
And you're sitting there going, okay, what time's dad coming in? Is he going to come in? Okay, he comes in at 4.45. If I get just enough time to watch Gilgan's Island, and then hopefully I can get, the, you know, what he asked me to do. And, and then dad would pop in early. And you're watching Gilligan's Island. And you're like, oh, no, this show is not going to end good. Yeah, right. I mean, that's basically the point that he makes here. Peter says in his latter days, he says, people are still asking, where's this coming he talked about? I mean, in Matthew 24, he says, Jerusalem, I mean, it's going to be wiped out. The temple, not one stone left on the other. Where is this coming you keep talking about? And Peter says, be patient. It's coming. God's word always comes true. And so the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he does not know. He'll cut him in pieces, put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you to notice especially that last phrase there. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is going to become a phrase that's used a lot by Jesus. I mean, he's describing judgment that's coming and he says that place is going to be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you just I mean you just ground your teeth because you just couldn't stand what was going on in your life Jesus says there's a place that's the ultimate place of weeping and gnashing of teeth and that judgment is coming And so, what do you take from this short story? The word to the wise is sufficient. The second story says, And the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. I've got here a lamp. I started to ask Rodney to bring one of his. I suspect Rodney's got several of them. But it's a little oil lamp. This is made from in Bethlehem. And uh, this is typical of a first century oil lamp. You know, they lived in a world where, you know, you didn't have light switches. I mean, a lot of us have grown up with lights. Uh, I remember asking my dad, Dad, how old were y'all before you got lights? And Dad said, I was a senior in high school. And I'm like, wow. I mean, he grew up for the first 18 years of his life with coal oil lamps, you know. My favorite story is the story of my grandfather when they wired the house for electricity for the first time. Electrician looked at my granddad and said, all right, you can buy your light bulb. You, you've got electricity now. And so granddaddy got the nickel out of his pocket, gave it to my Uncle Vale, said, run to the store, which was about a mile away, get us a light bulb. They didn't have light bulbs. And he takes off. And then my grandmother, and I love her, and you've heard, many of you have heard the story. Granddaddy's sitting there looking at the switch up there, that little string on it, and says, I just don't think there's electricity up there. And so he got an old flat back chair and got up in it with a screwdriver and stuck it in the light switch. And grandmother said, the prettiest blue ball of fire you ever saw came out. (laughs) Knocked your granddad to the floor, to which granddad said, I guess there is electricity up there. If you've never had electricity, it's something a little different. These virgins, they're, they're there. They're, they're going to be the, you know, kind of the bridesmaids. And, of course, weddings back then, very different from today. You know, you get an invitation today. The wedding's on this date, at this hour, at this location. I mean, we get it all the way down to the seconds, you know. That wasn't the ancient world. 
I mean, the groom would work till he got the house finally ready, and then he'd call the groomsmen, and he'd say, it's time to go pick up the bride. And then they would go off to pick up the bride, and word would go out, hey, it's time for the big wedding. Everybody's been waiting for in the village. And so the virgins would grab their lamps, and they would go out and wait near the groom's house for the wedding party to come in with the bride, and they'd join in the celebrations. And so these ten virgins go out with their little lamps, and they've got their little... I had a wick in it a minute ago. All right. That's what you do when you flay around up here like I do. But anyway, five of them were foolish. Notice again the language here. And five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. These hold just a little bit of oil. You can see how small they are. And it says, so the foolish ones filled it up, but they didn't take any extra. Whereas the wise took some little flask of oil, enough to fill it up maybe a second or third time. And so they go out, and of course it's taking a while. Notice, as the bridegroom was delayed, I mean, let's face it, grooms get with their friends, they begin to have a party, and next thing they know, wow, it's midnight, we, we need to go and get this wedding underway. And so they take off, and, and by the way, the, the virgins, they've gotten sleepy, it's midnight, they, they doze off, and then the word comes out. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. You know, the word is just going through the city streets and, and the virgins wake up and they begin to grab their lamps. The only problem, the foolish virgins' lamps are running out of oil. They're starting to go out. Whereas the wise ones have enough oil and they're pouring on them and they're trimming their wicks and they're getting everything ready. And so the foolish virgins turn to the wise virgins and says, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. And they said, we don't have enough for y'all. Go, go and find the, the oil man in town, buy you some oil, and then come join us. And so they rush off to do that, only to have the bridegroom show up. And the five wise virgins to welcome them in the celebration, and they go inside and they shut the doors. And the foolish virgins show up and they knock on the door, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I, I don't know who you are. Now, you, you don't get into the specifics of the story. You're thinking, surely in a small village you would know the people. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is, is the same point Jesus has made several times over, going all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount, of where you would have people on the Day of Judgment saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name, only to have Jesus say, I don't know you. You see, it's possible to be so foolish as to think if I, just, if I just wait to the right moment, I can respond to God's invitation and he'll welcome me in. I mean, he did the thief on the cross, right? And of course, the timing is never right. A word to the wise is sufficient. Story number three. For it will be like a man going on a journey. He calls his servants and trusts them with his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. Talents here are not talents in the sense of the ability to sing or preach or teach or serve. I mean, that's not what he's talking about. These are literally money amounts. A talent was a certain amount of money. And so basically the story is a man comes, calls in three servants, gives one five, one two, one one, each according to their abilities. I mean, let's face it, we all have certain abilities. And you don't expect of someone to do something that they're not able to ever to do. 
You know, when I was in high school, my, my PE coach never once pitched me a basketball and said, Leslie, slam dunk this thing. Not once. Not once. In fact, he didn't even hand it to me and said, just dribble the ball. I mean, he knew my abilities. I mean, when it came to basketball, y'all, I was at the end of the line. I really was. And yet there were others that, you know, yeah, they, they could probably dunk a ball. Why? They had that talent. The master gave according to their talents, their abilities. And then after a long time, he comes back, calls them in. The man with five talents come in. You gave me five. I've made five more. And notice what he calls him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Again, wise, foolish, good, faithful. And then, of course, he brings in the man with the two talents. And then finally the third man comes in. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow, gathering where you didn't scatter. So I was afraid I went, hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. In other words, what you gave me, I did nothing with it. But you have back what you gave me. And the master's response, you wicked and slothful. You know, in Mississippi, we'd call it just lazy, no good. You wicked and lazy and no good servant. You, you knew, you knew I reaped where I didn't sow. I gathered where I didn't scatter. You could have at least given it to the bankers and I would have interest when I came back. Three negative words that stand out in these first three stories. Number one, it's wicked. I mean, they're wicked not because they're out there doing horrible things. They're wicked because they're not doing what they're called to do. We're going to see that here in a second in great detail. They're foolish. They think they're smarter than the master. That they can time out when he's coming and when he's not coming. and You know, get everything right just in time. Number three, they're lazy. I mean, they just don't want to do what they've been called to do. And with that... He says, cast out the worthless servant. Another word. Into the outer darkness, guess what? Where there's weeping. Gnashing of teeth. A word to the wise is sufficient. And so he comes to the last story. And it's a story that describes the, the, the coming of the Messianic age. Psalm 110 most often quoted Old Testament passage in the New. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Jews believed that the Messiah would come and he would sit on the throne of David. They didn't realize that throne would be in heaven. But Psalm 110, David clearly said it's going to be in heaven at the right hand of God. And, and, and Daniel describes that in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, how that the Son of Man is going to literally ascend to heaven in the clouds and there accept his kingdom and sit down at the right hand of God. You get this, all this beautiful imagery that Jesus kind of brought together and melded together. And, and, and at the end of it, once the enemies are finally defeated, there's going to be this great judgment day. I mean, the final day is coming. The day of resurrection is coming. The day of judgment is coming. And so Jesus fast-forwards to that day. And he describes what it's going to be like. And it's one of those texts that we as Christians have got to desperately listen to. Because I'm so afraid that our concept of final judgment is so far off. And Jesus is very clear what we're going to be asked of. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He'll sit on His glorious throne. I mean, the Jews believed that. 
And before him will be gathered all the nations, the ethne. I mean, you're going to get to the end of the gospel, and Jesus is going to talk about you've got to take this gospel to the ethne, to all the nations. And we're here today because it was. And so, not just the Jews, but even the Gentiles are going to be gathered together in front of the Son of Man, and he's going to separate them, the sheep from the goats. If, if you lived in the first century, you had seen this. Sheep and goats often graze together, but at night, goats don't have the wool sheep have. I mean, if you've ever had goats, growing up, I was a goat herder. You know, a lot of y'all probably don't know that. But when I was in the eighth grade, I had some extra money. I turned to my dad. I said, I'd like to invest it in something. What would you suggest? And dad said, goats. I should have listened to Mike Ryan. Would have done better, brother, Mike. I mean, goats didn't do a lot for me. But I bought goats. And so for the next two or three years, I was a goat herder. Goat's hair is, is real fine. I mean, it's not thick like a, a lamb. So they'd have to separate the goats because they needed to be shielded from the weather better than, than the sheep did. But that's not the point of the story. It's just the separation is the point of the story. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You're welcome in. And then he says this, and the reason you're welcomed in is because you were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You were there because you gave of your mean every Lord's Day. You were there because you used the right translation of the Bible. You were there, and y'all, if you know the story, you're going, yeah, you've done run off the rails now. I have. Because what I'm telling you is what oftentimes is preached at funerals. Oh, yeah, he was a great man. She was a great woman. She was there every time the doors were opened. But is that what we're going to be judged for? Now, I'm not saying, you know, how we do worship and how we attend the assembly and what Bible we... I'm not saying those things are not important, brothers and sisters. Please don't, don't misunderstand me. But also don't misunderstand what Jesus said. Because here's what Jesus said. I was hungry and you gave me no food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger. Uh, excuse me, this is the positive. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger you welcomed me in. I was naked you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And of course the people on the day of judgment are kind of shocked. Truly, I, you know, and they said, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, naked, a stranger, or in prison? And he says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This week, Charlie Strobel was honored. Some of you know the name, some of you don't. Charlie Strobel was a Catholic priest. Catholic priest who went through a tragedy when his mother was murdered by someone from the streets. And after the death of his mother, Charlie Strobel, trying to process how someone from the streets would kill his sweet, wonderful mother, decided that the way he needed to respond was to help people on the streets. In the late 80s, he called together some preachers. Several preachers went to that meeting, among them Jim Olive, for those of you from Jackson Park Church of Christ, Jim was at that original meeting. 
And Charlie Strobel brought together preachers from all different types of churches. And he says, listen, we have all these church buildings in town, empty for most of the week. We use them on Sundays. We use them maybe during the week a little bit. But most of the time they're empty. What if we came together as a city and asked our churches to invite in, especially in the wintertime, especially when it's freezing, to invite the people who are homeless to come in and we could at least give them a warm place to sleep, maybe prepare some meals for them, maybe let them wash their clothes clothes, maybe just be a friend to them. And thus was launched Room in the Inn, a program that this church has been a part of for decades. And I applaud our church for that. Every Sunday night, a van pulls up here at the building. Most of us are not here. Now that van usually comes 15 guys, and they have nowhere to live. They don't have money for food. And they're oftentimes struggling. You say, yeah, but some of them don't deserve the help we give them. (laughs) Tell that to Jesus, okay? Try that on the day of judgment. Because Jesus probably needs to decide that one. And so what do we do as a church? We give them a warm place. We give them clothes if they need clothes. We give them food. We talk to them. We befriend them. We try to treat them as if we would treat Jesus. And that's how we're going to be judged. He goes on to describe what's going to happen to the others. Then he'll say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I want you to listen to the language. Eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Because we did not care for our fellow human being. He goes on and he says, I was hungry, you didn't give me anything. I was thirsty, there was no drink. I didn't have anywhere to live. You didn't invite me in. I was in prison. Did you come to visit? And by visit, he means to take care of me. He says, no. The lake of fire is the second death, John would later write. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of fire, life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, all the debates that surround eternal punishment and what that means, all I want to say to you is this. Whatever that means, you don't want to be a part of it. What Jesus and John is describing is something that is beyond our imaginations. Beyond it. All the words that Scripture tries to bring together, gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, eternal fire, all of these words that come together pale to really describe what it means to say to God, I don't want life with you. I'm going to choose to go a different direction. And God says, your choice. And so, I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. We need to be people who read the Old Testament more. Amen, Stan? Rodney, amen? You see, you turn back to the Old Testament, and we all think the Old Testament is a book about laws. I mean, you got the Ten Commandments, and then you got, you know, all of those laws, 613 laws, all of them put together, and the Jews had to keep all of them. If you go back and read the Old Testament, you'll find that's not why God judged them. Isaiah is an example of this. By the way, if you didn't do it to one of these, you didn't do it to me. Isaiah chapter 1 is a strange introduction to a book 
Because Isaiah turns to the Jewish people. And he says, can I tell you what God says about you? I want you to look at the language. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Wait wait a minute, the whole book of Leviticus is about that. God, you commanded it. If we sin, that's how we, that's how we are redeemed back to you. Uh, atonement is made is through the blood of these animals. You, you commanded that. I did. But you don't take it seriously, as Joe said this morning. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense, that special incense they burned in the temple, he said, that just stinks to me. It's detestable. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. Convocations are simply what we're doing today. It's gathering of the people of God. He says, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. And you look at that and you're like, what? But you commanded us to come together three times a year in Jerusalem. You want us there, Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles. What do you mean you hate our assemblies? You command us to worship on the Lord's day. Your new moon feast, your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. And when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I've got news for you. I'm not listening. And by the way, this is just one of many texts scattered throughout the Old Testament. Even David would say, you know what, if you wanted sacrifices, I could bring them. But it's that humble, contrite heart that you're looking for. And so Isaiah says, learn to do right. What I'm looking for, God says, is to seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. I question whether I should say anything about this because I'll get in trouble. But you know me. Elvis once had a song, if you're looking for trouble, you've come to the right place. Again, read the Old Testament. God said to the Jews, to the Israelites, you welcome the alien in the land because you used to be aliens in the land of Egypt. You treat them respectfully. You don't call them names. If they're hungry, you feed them. If they need shelter, you, you take them in. And I know that's not politically right. But I'm not political. I'm sorry. If that upsets you because you're a Democrat, then you'll just have to be upset. If that upsets you because you're a Republican, you'll have to be upset. If you don't want to speak to me when you leave today, don't speak to me. But don't be mad at me. Because that's just what the Bible teaches We care for our fellow man. Why? Because the most important commandment is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. And the second is like to it that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And boy, you want to try and say, well, who is my neighbor like a a lawyer did to Jesus? Be careful. You won't like Jesus' answer. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves for the rights of those who are destitute? Well, the reason they're destitute is because they're lazy. Everybody knows that. Anybody can succeed in America. It's the American dream. If you want to believe that, you believe it. God would disagree. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. 
Because if you don't, these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous, into eternal life. Tough? Yeah. It is. It's what causes me to do what I do. Several years ago, there was a need in the prison. I didn't want to go to River Bend. I mean, what would they do to me? I mean, come on. These guys are in there for, for murder, for rape, for assault. I mean, they, I mean, and I remember the first time those, those doors locked behind me. And I'm like, wow. And yet today, Joe and I were talking about an inmate who's fixing to get out. He's fixing to move back to Sumner County. And guess what? I am so grateful to Joe McConnell. Why? Because he mentors this brother. He takes care of this brother. When this brother gets out, it'll be Joe McConnell he'll be talking to when he struggles in his life. He'll be at church today. I'll see him in about two hours. And I'll hug him. Why? Because I was in prison. And you came to me. I mean, brothers and sisters, God's blessed us beyond all the nations of the earth. Of all the things that we can do that's good, we can help those who are less fortunate. One momentary decision is going to have eternal consequences. And so the question or the the response is a word to the wise is sufficient. And so this week, as you go, read Matthew 26. Get ready for next week. Number two, remember a word to the wise is sufficient. Dr. Flatt, thank you for driving that and making sure I remembered it. And then what words in these parables describe you? Good, faithful, wise, wicked, foolish, lazy. If you're like me, all six of them do sometime. I mean, that's what I struggle with. And I'm just being honest with you. And so this week, here's what I ask you to pray for. Pray for the wicked, the foolish, and lazy. That their eyes might be opened. Because sometimes my eyes need to be opened. Yours probably do too. I don't know what your needs are. And I know today's been, it's been tough. Let me tell you, it was tough on those who heard it for the very first time. We need to be serious about our faith. And we need to be serious about the words of Jesus. And I hope you will be. I know you will be. But if you have a need, our elders are going to be in, the, in both foyers. Uh, when we're through, they'll have name tags, says elders. Go up to them. Ask them to pray with you. Ask them if you, if you need to be baptized to set up your baptism. If you have a need that I can help with, I'll be down here for just a few minutes here as we sing this song. Why don't you come? As together we stand and sing.